podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Daniel, and this is the Talking Tactics Podcast. It's your boy, HH. It's Carl Anker again. We do this podcast every Tuesday. Remember to follow us on social media, on Twitter, at Talking Tactics. Instagram, the same. If you're listening on Spotify, give us a follow. If you're on Apple Podcasts, subscribe. It's free. Leave us a five-star review, and we will read it on the show. If you want to help the podcast out monetarily, check out Patreon dot com forward slash talking tactics i need i need one new person every week so are you going to be that one person ask yourself should i be that one new person and if you are that one person join patreon i just edu- need one edu- educate thyself educate that's i just need one one of you one of you i want to add a new person every week so if you're it's, that person be it's, that it's, person. It's, it's very educational man if you want to expand yourself expand your brain you know, trust me, it's it's, it's a way of you know opening yeah, that's, yourself that's, up to a whole new. That's my new campaign for 2021. So, but we're starting it early. If you want to be that one person this week, sign up. We'll follow you on Twitter and all that stuff. Actually, if you already followed us on Patreon, send your uh, Twitter at so we can follow you and give you some stuff. So, anyway, this is a tricky one. Do you want to start out in England or do you actually want to start out with like the biggest match of the week, which would be Dortmund Munich? You 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 guys decide. You want to clump all of England together before we get to Europe, or do you actually want we to start, start with the Europe? Premier League? We start with the Premier League on this podcast. Ugh. Do we have to? Okay, you gave, me, you gave me a choice. For the love of God, man. <laughs> okay, let's talk about City versus Liverpool. A lot of these games have just been draws for whatever reason. I haven't been like winners of these big games as yet. But talk to me about Manchester City against Liverpool. Um. Or, or actually, considering he's chewing food, Carl, would you like to talk to me about? <laughs> would you like to talk to me about Liverpool and and Manchester City? This guy always eating. It's like it's nearly ten p.m. Uh, what I'll say is uh, that was a really fun game for the first half. It was definitely a game where minds and bodies began to tire. You saw the accumulated run up of just way too many games, way too much travel, and way too much just football this season. Uh, I really enjoyed that first half. I was surprised by Jurgen Klopp going for the 4-2-4 formation and playing Jota and Firmino in the first half. And it looked as if it was working for much of that first half. Can I just pause it and say that Half Hope and I, or at least I, I called 4-2-4. If you want to get all those four in the same formation, last week I said maybe you could do 4-2-4. And he actually did it. So I feel good. I feel good. Go ahead. It was was 4-2-4 that... Uh, I guess it was intended to work really well in the attacking transition to just have an extra forward up there to get the ball to really, really quickly. And you saw that with the first, you know, what happened for the first penalty, which in my opinion, I thought that was the penalty. I thought it was really harsh from Roy Keane calling Kyle Walker an idiot at halftime as well. But those are the fine margins. Uh, I thought what was really clever was also how Kevin De Bruyne began to like adapt and build throughout the first half and realise how the 4-2-4 we sort of shifted to a 4-4-2 when they had the ball. Um, and basically how Manchester City used Genie Wijnaldum as a pressing trigger, which is bold because Wijnaldum, at least in my experience, is one of the better midfielders at resisting a press from two or three people. He's really good at holding the ball and retaining possession. I think I said words similar to that when he was linked with Barcelona. So um, that was good. Uh, and then that's why you got you know the goal from Manchester City, which was just a really good turn and finish from Gabriel Jesus, who... I know he, he will always look immature because of the fact he's got really high cheekbones and has a face where he kind of looks a bit like a given or a bit scared. But he's a fantastic striker and he really made the jump last season. He's not going to be as good as Aguero because very few strikers are ever going to be as good as Aguero in the Premier League. But he is a good striker and he's good enough to lead the line for when Aguero goes. And yeah, in the second half, I think everyone got knackered and then it just sort of fizzled out, wasn't it? Mm. Oh, yeah, I definitely... I think. <laughs> It, watching slow motion, I don't think that was a penalty <laughs> for Manchester City. But when you watch it at full speed, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a pen. By by the laws, it's a penalty. Uh, and yeah, that's that's basically my well bo- well boxed. Everyone was tired, and one one's probably a fair result. I think Liverpool will probably say they've gained one point, whereas Manchester City will say we lost two. Yeah, no, look, for my said again, um, first half was um, interesting. Basically, the answer was he is going to be loyal. Klopp is going to be loyal to Firmino. I think many Liverpool fans will say, nah, this is time for Firmino to be dropped. I would have liked to have imagined a scenario of 4-3-3, Jota in the middle, Salah right, Mane left, and see how that would have gone against Man City. You know, I mean, the formation definitely in the first kind of like six, seven minutes caused City issues. 
especially with how Liverpool were transitioning. So almost every pass they were making, City were having issues really defending them. But Ruben Diaz, I think Pep may have finally now realised that let's just get a defender. Forget this whole can play from the back and all that kind of stuff because you're trying to defend John Stones by saying, oh, John Stones has got big, big balls, bigger balls than and all of you guys criticising him. And then in the end, he realised that, no, sorry, John Stones just isn't that to do it. I need to get a guy who knows how to defend first. Then I can then help him with the other stuff like the passing and everything. Not every defender is your Ramos who can defend, pass, shoot, bring the ball up. Again, for Jesus is let him just keep fit because people forget he's 23. In 2018, the guy was 21, 21, 22. He's still a very young striker. Don't compare Jesus to a 21-year-old R9 who was literally a phenomenon. Okay, R9 is an outlier that you can't compare regular mortals to. So he's still young. So let him hit 25 and 26. Then you can then say, ah, what are you now doing because you're 26, 27? Guy's still young and he will only get better. Sterling, that is Man City's biggest issue, Israel Sterling. Ever since he missed that open goal for Leon, I think that has affected him. And I think he's just not been the same player since missing the open goal. And that stuff can really affect you. I know Sterling's finishing hasn't taken a dip. I think he's tired. I think basically every single football player in the Premier League if not Europe as a whole, needs an asterisk next to them, especially those that have played in Europe. But why they have a dip in form? Because they're tired. After Manchester United's victory over Everton, Oli was very, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer was very pointed in his comments about how the broadcasters set Manchester United up to fail because they had played on the Wednesday night and then they played at 12 o'clock on the Saturday. Jurgen Klopp was pretty pointed after the Manchester City victory. victory. There you are, there's a Freudian slip. He was pretty pointed after that draw where he basically went, I don't understand why we're playing this. This needs to be, this is an issue for Sky, for BT, for BBC and the broadcasters because these players are currently in their recovery phase. I'd also argue that it's it's little surprise that, you know, this season has also seen a rise of Mourinho again. Mourinho, you know, as I've spoken to on this podcast, the master of tactical periodization. He was very much about, this is how the rhythm of a week works. And this is how you make sure when it gets to kickoff, you are at peak condition. And then everyone else just sort of did that and did other things and they got knackered. Whereas Mourinho's more or less been steadfastly, you know, periodization, periodization, periodization. And lo and behold, Tottenham Hotspur top two in the league because he's just sticking with what worked for him back in 2004, 2007, 2009. Yeah, fatigue is one of the biggest problems of this season. I'd say if you want every odd thing that's going on this season can be chalked up to fatigue, changing rules and playing crowdless football. Yeah, no, for me, I think that is definitely a factor that's going to affect everyone. You know, it's the whole COVID thing. I think maybe we can even touch upon the whole three subs versus five subs thing. But it's like, I think that's a factor. But I also would like to believe that that was an ungodly miss. <laughs> you know what I mean? My God, in heaven. <laughs> it like, was, but it... Dude was like two yards from, I mean, how that has to have some effect. I mean, like that's a crazy miss. <laughs> you know, so that's... I don't, has to play a factor, one hundred percent. How 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 a big a factor? I don't know. I'd argue it probably has less of a factor because this season is so condensed. I'd say in a regular in a regular condition, uh, Sterling would have had fifty days of holiday. Then he would have gone back to his club. Then he had a four weeks of preseason. Then he would have gone back for the season, and the season was started. And that miss probably would have played on his mind. He probably would have had that on holiday during those fifty days worth of holiday during those four weeks while of preseason, and then before the season started, there were only fifty days between miss what, 35 to around 30 to 50 days between that miss and the start of next season? He didn't have time to think about it. I'm pretty sure people around were like, you haven't got time to think about that miss. I thought the same thing. The turnaround from when they lost to yep. when the next season, the preparation for next season would have started was so small mm-hmm. that he probably didn't have the time to beat himself up that he would have. I think it's also interesting that a number of Premier League managers, when I'm going to these press conferences, they don't really talk about home and away games. They're like, this isn't home and away, whatever. They're just games now. It's just a slog. Mm. Uh, we're, so, we're really entering the state where managers are openly talking about how much they don't enjoy what's going on. Pep came out in his post-match and he said in England they're trying to be special with mm-hmm. the the idea that in leagues across Europe they kept with five substitutes because they understand we're trying to do a lot here. We're trying to cram in international breaks. We're trying to cram in European football. We're trying to cram in... Um, all of these games so we can end the season on time because we started it late. So then we can have a European competition in the summer and the rest of the leagues around Europe are like, fine, we'll give you five substitutes. 
Champions League five substitutes with an extended bench, and I'm sure that extends to the Europa League as well. The Premier League had the choice to do that, and I think the top few clubs were like, nah, we can do that, but the bottom part of the table was like, hmm. And for advantage. I, I don't think we want to give these guys more chances to change the game with better players, so let's just keep it like it is. Maybe to be fair, that's played into their hands in a sense, where if you look at the table and you see teams like Southampton and Villa and Crystal Palace in like the top 10 or whatever it is, or top eight maybe, and you look at where the bigger clubs are in quotes who are having to play all these matches and they're struggling to an extent. So maybe that's been smart uh, uh, to a just, point. Just but how does that man. translate over the course of a whole season? And what does that do to your playing staff? It seems kind of cruel in a way. Bring the five subs. All right. Like, don't try and be special. Like, you see, for me, I always said that I was always with three subs. In terms of, you know, as I like the whole thing of like, you know, as a manager, you now have to pick your subs very carefully. But I didn't not realize that, oh, geez, this whole COVID thing, if you don't have a Euros next summer, you still want to have champions, you want these things to still be on time, bro, the, the turnaround has to be quick and there's not going to be fixture congestion. So instead mm-hmm. of every two weeks for Champions League, it's now every week. Mm-hmm. You have to give guys five, five subs because that is way too much for you to ask of players to play Wednesday, um, 8 p.m., Saturday, 12.30, then maybe Tuesday or Wednesday again, and then maybe Sunday. That's and, crazy. And this goes I... into, and if, if I could just interject quickly, Carl. It, you know, Mourinho's been on this point for like 20 years almost since he showed up, or 15 years, since he showed up with Chelsea the first time. You'll, you'll play the, the late game on Sunday because, I don't know, it'll be uh, a primetime viewing for England, the rest of the world, what have you. And then the Premier League doesn't care that you have a Tuesday game in the Champions League. So that's a scheduling conflict. Or you'll have a game on Wednesday in the Champions League, and then they'll play you the early game on Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon, basically. So he's been on this, like the scheduling is has been trash. They don't help the teams. They're just more concerned about the Premier League branding and having these games on at the most opportune time, regardless of whatever else is going on. So this pattern of we're, we're, we're out here for the money, we don't really care about the teams or the players that much, it's just a continuation of that. I was of the opinion that five substitutes was a bad idea towards the end of last season. But I, I don't think to like vaguely defend myself, I didn't really see the calendar working out this way. I didn't think we'd have a 38-game calendar with five fewer weeks. I didn't think we'd have a... League Cup? Yeah, I, I thought we'd have a League Cup. I, I do. I, I'm interested in see how the FA Cup sort of works in this new estate. I didn't think we'd be doing week to week to week Champions League as well. I certainly didn't think we'd still be doing I forgot about the Nations League because because everyone forgets about the Nations League just a little bit. Um I think it, I mean the big thing about this one now ADAG3 raises a really really good point about how there is a lot of crying about five subs but in the Manchester City Liverpool game only three subs were made between both managers. Um so take it with a pinch of salt. This has been a long-standing issue from FIFA Pro, from Mourinho, from players and from managers. And I'm going to say as well, from the football journalists as well, I'm knackered. I'm currently off a week, I'm a week off work right now because I cannot maintain my levels. And that's I'm just watching the game. I'm not running 10 kilometers. I'm just watching people run 10 kilometers. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I've, got, I've got brain fog and I can't do it no more. So good luck to all those players. Um, I, yeah, I can see why we didn't do fi- why the Premier League clubs didn't agree to five substitutions over the summer. And if I was a club chairman in charge of, say, Crystal Palace in the summer, you gave me the option, I would have voted no, keep it to three, um, because I didn't know how the fixture list would shake out. And now I now we got a bit more about how that fixture list was has shaken out. You can be, yeah, I'm I have the regrets. I think there's going to be a lot of players getting injured. And I think it's going to get to that thing a bit like playoff basketball or a bit like playoff NFL, that you're going to see one team do really well and be in and around the Europa League spaces because they just have enough bodies or they got luck, they get lucky enough with injuries that they can deal with the churn. Carl, talk to me about Saints. I was going to call them Spurs, but talk to me about Saints. So they won their, their game and they were top of the table. And I they was were, like, yeah. and I, was like I, I blame I blame you. <laughs> <laughs> some people were blaming me. Some people were saying such a thing is only possible now I left. Some people said I must have the deep regrets that I've left Southampton. But it was great. I think it's really it's really quite 
fun. That was the first time Southampton been top of the top flight table since 1988. Um, it's also the first time they've ever been top of the table in the Premier League era. It is pretty much a year to the day. So I've got a Google phone. So what I do, you know, you get Google tell you on this day you were doing this. It was an international break this time last year. Uh, and I remember this was the international break just after. They, so they lost 9-0. They played Manchester City in the League Cup and got knocked out. Then they played Manchester City again in the league a couple of days afterwards. And they were winning up halftime and they lost 2-1. And I remember spending most of that international break doing serious research into whether or not they were going to sack Ralph Hasenhall uh, and possibly who they could bring in. And I basically got to the point where Zelda's more or less told, the club officials told players that they are committed to Ralph and that they would much rather remove players than remove the manager, which I thought was bold. And what we found out in the year since was basically the day after 9-0, Hasenhall went into the office. He basically turned up at 6.30 at Southampton and was like, right, I'm prepared to get sacked here. He didn't, he didn't offer his resignation, but was of the opinion, like, if you want to sack me, you can sack me, that's fine. But they didn't. They worked hard on it. And what you're seeing is just damn good coaching. So they spent very little money, relatively, compared to other people in and around that sort of zone. So, you know, they had a couple of good years from Pochettino to Kuman, and then the wheels fell off. And then Ralph is the first good manager in about three to come in. And he's, he's just coached the bollocks off it. So many of those players that I saw at the start of last season that looked like they couldn't control the ball are now, I mean, some of them now are getting international call-ups. James Ward-Prowse has gone from a player where I honestly didn't know what his best position was to me going, he should be playing ahead of Harry Winks in England as one of the central midfielders. Harry Winks. <laughs> I agree. If, if only for set pieces, man. His corners and free kicks are incredible. At least yeah, I have him on yeah. the bench. James Ward-Prowse got dropped from the squad at Southampton in the early stages of Ralph Hassel's tenure. And now he's the captain and he's scoring two free kick goals in a game. I've spoken so much about how much I love Danny Ings. And it's really unfortunate that he's currently injured at the moment. But they're, they're a well-coached side. They have such a clear system. Something I picked up last season was when Ralph liked a player, his favourite word to describe him was open-minded, which basically meant you listen to what I tell you to do. So uh, we know he likes players on the age of 24. He knows he likes really athletic players and he knows that he likes players that can be quite tactically fluid and that listen to what he says. So I think he's a great manager. I'm not quite sure if you know people saying, oh, he should be here or he should be there and he should be higher up the table. I'm not quite sure if he's champion, like established Champions League team yet, yet. But I think the great challenge now is basically, can he get Southampton to go from being a top 10 side to being a Europa League competing side, and I think might pull it off this season. What did you think about their Twitter account when it said stop the count? That was oh, funny. hilarious. I that. hilarious. That's, good. That's good footballing activities. Because, like but it. it just shows you the power of like social media, Twitter and everything, because I think there's another good one. I, think, I don't know whether it's Roma English or is it... Uh, Roma's good... Um, there's a there's a German, there's a German one, one that's, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Bayern Munich Bayern Munich US is good. Roman Le- is it Leverkusen? Yeah. Leverkusen. Like, like they just like crack like really interesting shows, and it's like it just shows you just basically Twitter. See, tw- you know, you can always do like a, a thingy on football Twitter because there is a good, funny, humorous side of football Twitter. Then there is a despicable, poisonous <laughs> side of football Twitter. So. It's like it's almost as if like you're like in this fantasy movie. You have like your sword and your shield, and like, are you going to like end up in this kind of dungeon pits place with fighting this thing? Because like, there's some truly, truly treacherous places in football Twitter. Like, how the hell did I get up here with some of the most awful, disgusting, revolting opinions ever known to a man? And then you will see some of the most funniest, humorous, imaginative things. Oh, that's actually really. You don't think clever. you contribute to this treacherous place? Oh hell no! So I'm, like the 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 Zish is greater no, 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 than Cristiano. No, no, I'm, I'm, no I'm not talking about stuff that gets into racial, racist, dumb, stupid, oh, weird ter- territory. So oh yes, those 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 places do exist. People I know know those places, but I do not know those places on purpose. So let's talk about Zish. I have hope. I know we there's the complicated Chelsea show that comes mm. out every Thursday. You guys oh, stay tuned to the to the Have Hope Football Hut for that um, every Thursday. Thursday. Believe but that. you know, we'll, we'll give you just a little a little sprinkle of uh, of Chelsea talk right now. Talk to me about ZS, basically. No, it's, it's it's what I predicted, and I always say like 
the eye test. I don't want to hear about XG. I don't want to hear about <laughs> expected. I don't want to hear about a guy's weight. I don't want to hear about guys. Okay, this is a guy's mass, and this is what he's supposed to do with his left foot and his right toenail. That's a pile of crap, according to me. <laughs> Sit down, watch the freaking game, and you can tell this guy can play. These are his strengths. These are his weaknesses. This is what he does well. This is what he does badly. All I needed to do was see ZH and Figgins for acting. I was like, yeah, this guy can, can play. I know this guy mm-hmm. can, can play. So it's mm-hmm. a question of like, okay, what is the right system? Because again, ZH for Ajax wasn't ZH for Morocco. Because when, when, when I watched the Nations Cup, mm-hmm. he just wasn't as good for Morocco. But then again, it just shows you that it doesn't mean he's a bad player, but you have to put him in the right environment, right system, right role, and he's going to provide for you. So the stuff that I'm seeing from him, I'm like, yeah, look, because of the way this team is, and whether this team is operate or can operate, they can operate almost similar, not the same, but similar to what Ten Hag did with Ajax, where you've got very technically skilled players who can move, move, move around and have a lot of ability, which isn't really the same with him and Morocco. So mm-hmm. um, the, he is the guy. Like, you just said, he is the guy. Like, I wasn't sold on Werner or Havertz. It's just people told me they were amazing. I didn't think they were amazing. I was just told by Twitter that they were amazing. ZH, before going on to Twitter, I was like, yeah, no, yeah, I've, yeah this, this, this guy's extremely good. So you can be swayed by Twitter chat. You can be swayed. No, no, I can't. You just said it. No, you just no. said it. Twitter is a... Is a, is a fo- then you run it back. Aspects of Twitter is a cesspool. It's an absolute cesspool with disgusting agendas. Yeah, I, I feel think. the way I feel the way about football Twitter, like... If you go on YouTube and you type in like such and such comp, when I stopped watching compilations was Bakayoko. Because when Chelsea bought Bakayoko in 2017, I think, I remember I went on YouTube and I just watched the comp. And I was like, bro, I think we've got Yaya Toure again, bro. Who is this guy? This guy's one of the greatest. And then he shows up injured and it never reaches. So I'm like, I'm never, ever, ever watching a comp again. But I never wait. I never jump into like the football Twitter. You, I, I don't trust you. I kind of don't trust myself, so why would I trust you, person that doesn't use their real name and has <laughs> Giroud esque? I don't trust you, bro. So yeah, uh, this podcast is meant to be called Talking Tactics, and now you're just beefing football to it. One question I have for both of you, as one of you is a Chelsea fan and one of you is ambiguous, um, is he actually a guaranteed starter? Chelsea is fan, that, answer is, the question. Is that a no, 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 no? You, you, no, I'm the. I'm, I'm the ambiguous guy. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I said again, I'm a, I'm a complex Chelsea guy, so I will ask, I will answer that as a complex, very complicated Chelsea guy. ZH is a, is ZH and Mendy and six of the first names of the team team sheets. Like this is his team. He is the best yeah. attacking player in the team, mm-hmm. and I don't want to say who is the best player because I think Thiago Silva is important, so is Mendy, but ZH is the best attacking player in this team. So in terms of whether he's scoring goals. He's creating, he's passing, he's creating situations, he's initiating attacks that lead to an assist, that lead to a goal. He has to be in the team. I, I think everything Hope said about GH was correct. Um, I can add a little bit there. Whereas he was like, I, he was just an amazing automatic run and gun shooter. He's a really volume shooter. So he, he shoots a lot and he shoots a lot of things that shouldn't go in, but do go in because he's a baller. Uh, he did a little bit of skill against Sheffield United where he stopped the ball dragged it back with one foot and accelerate with the other foot. And it, I'm, I know I was not supposed to talk about compilations, but I saw that bit of skill and I went, Jesus Christ. He bamboozled that guy. <laughs> that was, I, it, I don't know what Sheffield United man that happened to, but I wouldn't claim that if that was you. If that happened to you, don't claim it. I think you should be, I think you should be a starter. There are so many attacking players there and I still don't understand. I still don't know what Frank Lampard's best team is. And I don't know if Frank Lampard knows what his best team is, but I think, Ziyech should definitely be a starter. I also want to say, I'm just surprised by how good Thiago Silva's been. Mm. Didn't start great. Didn't start great. And I didn't think he'd be a... I didn't think he'd be a consistent starter at his advanced age, shall we say. But uh, no, he. I thought he'd improve him. I didn't think he'd improve him that much that quickly. Especially because well, well, I didn't... In the grand scheme of things, Thiago Silva's only a little bit older than us. He's uh, like, he's what, 35, 36? I have no age. Don't I have no age, man. I have no age, so I don't He's know like what you're talking five about. Five or six years older than me. That's not that great. 
Oh, that's not that he's, much. He's 30, 36 years of age as a defender. Well, I, I, well yeah, in, in football age, of, you know, he's up there long in the tooth, shall we say. But, like, relatively oh, speaking. Wait, 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 wait. How old was Cannavaro in 06? He was, like, 34, 35, wasn't he? Yeah, that's old uh, for a defender. For a defender? Old, old, for, old for a defender. There's old and there's old for a defender, you know? So, like, old, like old for there's... a goalkeeper is, like, 40. Old for a winger is, like, 30. Old for a defender, or, you know center back you know 35 maybe 36 like he's there <laughs> something i have also like begun to pick up on is when you are doing play interviews don't do that when you mention them uh so like, if i'm talking age yeah yeah that i i had a very interesting conversation with uh david luis at arsenal well, i was just very much like oh you know well you know at your slightly you know you're one of the older players in the changing rooms like what do you mean I was like, you know you you want the other? You say you call me old? Or, no, no. I'm just saying you're older, and it, it was yeah. Don't do it. Damn. Don't do it unless you can make it funny. If if you're old, you're old, man. You got to be like as as one of the team leaders. <laughs> you got to make it nice. So look, look. This is what it says on your passport. Although for Diego Costa, I still feel he's he's lying about his age. But that's for another. That's for another day, man. Did Chelsea make a mistake with Ross Barkley, letting him go on loan? No. So what's happening at Aston Villa right now? Can you explain this to me? Maybe Aston Villa is the club that he should be at. It's about teams you play with, players you play with, the environments you're in, the pressure you're under. Ross Barkley, why did Chelsea buy Ross Barkley? Because he was actually a pretty good player for Everton. They bought but... him because he was cheap. Yes, they got him for $15 million Yeah, But Everton. they still got him based off what he was doing for Everton. They didn't say, oh, he's cheap, let's just get him. No, yes, he's cheap and oh, he's actually pretty good for, the, for this Everton team. So playing for an Everton and an Aston Villa is different for playing with um, for a Chelsea. Mm. So all because he's now doing really well for Aston Villa, it doesn't mean that, oh, if he now comes to Chelsea, it'll be amazing. Nah, it doesn't work like, like yeah. that. Football is much more complex than that. So yeah, it is, it is good work he's doing there. He's working well with, with Grealish, but it doesn't mean that Chelsea made a mistake letting him go. No. How much do you yeah. think he's worth, Carl? I'm trying to guess the transfer market at a time like this is, incredibly hard because oh yeah here's a nice little tip uh watch out for the loan market in january it's going to get weird because hmm. clubs have some money but not enough money and there's also a lot of players that didn't move in the summer transfer window because there wasn't enough time that need to get shifted so you're going to see more gareth bale type deals for players gareth that bale. would be nice accent uh that uh you know <laughs> Off the, top, off the top of my head, Daniel Sturridge needs a football club. Jack Wilshere needs a football club. Mesut Ozil needs a football club. Saliba needs a football club. Delhi probably needs a football club. Uh, so, yeah, I think the loan market is going to be... You know who needs incredible. a football club? Marcus Alonso. Marcus Alonso still needs a football club. Um, he needs Jesus, man. <laughs> Danny Drinkwater. Danny Drinkwater. Danny Drinkwater still needs a football club because he played. He just played for Chelsea on the 23s. Danny Rose still needs a football club because he's playing for Tom Hotspur on the 23s. So I'm not going to get the transfer market. I'm just going to say, look for the loan market. It's going to be really, really weird in January, and I'm not looking forward to that. I'm going to book off the last week in January. Now I've said that because I want to sleep. I'll say one thing about Ross Barkley. The last game he played for Chelsea was Werner's debut, and I thought that was quite interesting. Well, there was a little bit right at the end where Werner was bombing forward. It was like a two Chelsea players versus three and he got the ball and he sort of looked left, looked left, looked left and looked forward and realised one of the players ahead of him would definitely block any shot he would have. So he laid it off to Russ Barkley because he, he ran the numbers and went, this is a bad chance. I'm not going to shoot from outside the box. Gave it to Russ Barkley. Russ Barkley immediately takes a touch, whacks it. 25 yards. Didn't give a damn. Ran into a crowd of bodies, went off, gave it a corner. And I was like, ah, oh, that is that is why Werner is here and why Russ Barkley will probably not do well at Chelsea because he is all action, pass it forwards, and do stuff all of the time. And at Chelsea, you need to be a bit smarter. You need to recycle the ball a bit more. If you play that gun hole style, especially in Europe, you are going to lose games. A uh, good example was the 4-4 draw at Ajax. Um, I don't think Russ Barkley played that, but whatever. But also at Aston Villa, he can do that because at Aston Villa, there is no one really doing that for Aston Villa other than Jack Grealish. So it's this really fun thing now where you've got David Luiz and John McGinn, who are like these beasts that break up play and recycle position, possession all the time and ahead of them you've got Grealish and Russ Barkley and they've both been told do ball carries do dribbles do the passes do the shots from outside the box all you want now, that's that's the talking tactics version of what Hope said he's found the correct club for him uh, and I remember when that deal went through and Russ Barkley was asking I just went I remember going huh that makes a lot of sense 
Uh, and it's really nice when Chancey does do that. You, know, you look at a Chancey, you're like, oh, oh, he's going to have fun. Do you claim no, him as Nigerian? No. I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what if he gets like 30 goals, 10 assists in a season? Would, would you claim him then? No, because I'm 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 not cheap like 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 like, like that. So <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> Maybe not for you, but it's coming on Twitter. Um, all right. What's one thing about Manchester United that's intrigued you over the past two weeks? Uh, why they're so inconsistent? One thing that has intrigued me is how Victor Lindelof looked good, and then he very quickly didn't against Dominic Calvert-Lewin, which is the thing. Victor Lindelof's a good defender. He's just flimsy um, in a way that you can't be flimsy in the Premier League. I would like to see more Axel to Enzebi, but he didn't play particularly well against Istanbul. But Shakshir and Olegona prefers his Lindelof Maguire pivot. Have you asked him why his name's Axel? Is there a good like Beverly Hills Cop story in that? Or no? I have not. I'll find out for you. I know he's a big fan of comic books and particularly and particularly read uh, Marvel's Thor growing up. So Whenever know. somebody's named Axel and they're like probably born like post nineteen ninety five, I wonder if their parents were like Beverly Hills Cop watchers. But anyway, yeah, um, inconsistency. I didn't cover that game. Um, I, the last game I covered was the Istanbul defeat, where I just like <sighs> this is a shambles. Can um, I give some love um, to Dembaba? Hey, my guy. The goal looked eerily similar <laughs> to to the Liverpool one. It, it was wasn't crazy, a slip, but it was kind of just like, yeah. what were Manchester United doing? That there was nobody there, and all they had to do was make sure Dembaba didn't cross halfway, and he was going to score basically. So big up Dembaba. He's my favorite footballer, not for footballing reasons. Like if you follow him on Twitter, and you just like learn his personality and like see what he's about, like. He's a good person, I think. I will check um, that now and add him on Instagram. He's a good family guy. Family man. I don't know why I said family guy. And again, now I'm missing my cartoon. Continue. European football. Let's get to it. Um, we didn't talk about this last week, even though we probably should have. Half Hope mentioned it. When when I listened back to the episode, I was like, ah, oh, we never touched that back. Zlatan. Mm. What he's doing at AC Milan, guys. I mean, I, every week I don't want to have the, like, yo, like, he's so old and he's doing this. But, I mean, what else can you really say? He's 39 years old. He's getting winners and equalizers. I mean, he scored one. It didn't count. Came back and got the got the equalizer. I don't know necessarily how to frame the question. I don't want to talk about him necessarily, have hope. But what are Milan capable of this season if this is the Ibrahimovic we're getting? Post-COVID, by the way. I've literally just as you guys were talking, I just happened just to be looking at this. And here's the thing, because we just even talked about it of like, you know, look who's in fifth. Look who's in fifth. <laughs> no, no, but, but okay, it's like we look at the whole turnover, like COVID, people not hard, they don't have time for a break and a whole whole affects who. And even if this was a regular season, I was like, Pielo? So Pielo got his coaching badges badges on Monday and he was made a manager on Tuesday. <laughs> I was like, like, what is this? It's like, it just made no because it was. Is it that you enter our seven? Up? Oh my god, Antonio Conte. So my my thing is, is, that, is, is it that you've just given up by hiring Pierre and like, ah, oh, look, it's fine. We don't want to win the league titles, or you're you, you so disrespect your opposition, man. We're just gonna just grab this guy from the okay. See, I don't want to say Pierre is from the road. I want to grab this guy who has no coaching badges. Let make him take take the exam in the morning, give him the job in, in the evening because we'll still win. But because of this whole COVID thing and the fixture congestion, you'll be having to play Champions League games. And yeah, Sassuolo, I don't think they're in Europe. Milan, obviously, they play on their on Thursdays. Napoli aren't in Europe as well. Shout out to your boy Victor Osima scoring the, the winning goal. Put it this way I will never ever bet against a team who've won a competition nine times in a row. For me, that is utter stu- stupidity. So yes, <laughs> automatically, I'm going to say Juve will win it because they won it nine times in a row. But there is an argument to be made that it's going to be tough for Juve to win it this season. And let's be real, Inter should have won it last season. They should have won it last yeah. season because Juve, they were all over the place. Sarri never really had a, had a handle on the team. But it was Inter Milan and also Lazio who just sort of gave it up. Lazio had it, they gave it up. Mm-hmm. Had it, they gave Where it up. are they in the table? They're not in the top eight. Tell me, tell me. Keep looking. Ninth, okay. Yeah, no, but Milan, like I said again, it's um, this might be the season where you just see some odd things happening. This is the season we've been waiting for, though. If yeah. if if this is what we think it is, like if Milan can stay in the top four 
and get Champions League football for next year. This is the season they've needed to where they are the sleeping giant, so to speak, in European football. If they can get Champions League back and there's money to spend, which is an if, obviously, what could this do for Italian football, for Milan? You know, could be interesting. So we'll see. Yeah, let's I mean, his credit, bro. And again, he had COVID, he so did. he's not supposed. He and he's old; he's not supposed to be out here doing this stuff. Look, man, <laughs> I, I, I think that's last time doesn't recognize COVID, man. Latin destroys COVID, as he says. So, I think I said it on this podcast before about when he was at when he first went to Inter Milan, they were really surprised by the setup of his ankle ligaments. They basically someone said he's got ankles of steel, um, and I'm like, a, a man this tall shouldn't have ankles that work this way. And then when he went to Barcelona, they were really confused by the muscle setup in his lower back. And like tall people shouldn't have lower back muscles like this. Basically, even though he's like six foot five, he's got the body of someone much smaller and much more agile than so like, he should be. So, so like a Usain Bolt kind of thing? Yeah, it's either Usain Bolt kind of thing or, or something that comes from basically the fact that he was a black belt in Taekwondo at the age of 17. Mm. But I think I mean, one, he is a medical marvel in that sort of anyone playing football, anyone playing any sort of professional level sport over the age of 37 is doing incredible amounts of things. And I'm imagining he is spending upwards of a million pounds a year on his body to keep playing. Um, I also think on top of that, he's also just, he's always been a technical marvel. Like his technical ability on the ball has always been, I mean, so much better compared to other football players of his size, which I think comes from just him being him and also him having a background in so many other sports. So, yeah, yeah. While the whole, like, I am Zatan and I'm the god shtick gets a bit boring after a while, you can't dispute. when The the man very rarely fails to back it up. If you add the physical attributes with the technical attributes, and then you add the mentality that he has, mm-hmm. it makes sense. You know, it's, he, maybe you shouldn't be like, oh my God, how is he doing this? It's like, nah, it kind of makes sense if you add those three things together. All they needed was somebody to give him a chance, and Milan were happy to do it. So there you go. Um, I read today on AS, I think, that Neymar is thinking about signing a newer contract with PSG rather than going to Barcelona. Um, Part of me thinks he thinks Barca don't even have the money to get me. So why not just re up this bag here in Paris and we'll see what happens in a few years, but have hope. What's better for Barca? What's better for PSG? What's better for Neymar? And then fourthly, what's better for you? So I want those four angles. But well, you're black. Like, like my 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 brain is is not really working quickly. Can you just say that again? So what am I answering <laughs> again? I'll, I'll ask them individually, and you can answer each one. What's best for PSG? Should Neymar stay or should he go? For PSG, um, stay has to stay. What's better for Barcelona? Depends on Messi. If Messi is there, there's no point in having Neymar. If Messi isn't there, oh my God, Neymar with Fatsy, the Us, Griezmann—that's interesting. What's better for Neymar? Depends on Messi. <laughs> if if Messi is is there, it's you you can't have two point guards, you can't have two quarterbacks. If Messi leaves, oh Barcelona is perfect for Neymar. And what's better for you? Do you have a, a Neymar narrative, or would you want Mbappe to be oh, the guy oh. at PSG? So what is best for have hope? No, no, my my narrative is for Mbappe to win the CL. So then I can then because that's what I've I've, I've got about win three the or four tweets. In my draft, I wanted to unleash if PSG won, but they're, they're still in, in draft mode, so I'm there. They're on ice. Those tweets are on ice. Um, I'll tell you, you're adding to the treachery, but you don't want to admit it. But go ahead. No, I don't, because my thing is actually truth. Um, <laughs> but for my, no, 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 actually, no every for, liar ever. <laughs> no, for my narrative, though, I think Neymar staying as PSG would, that, that's, that's a more interesting story, because I was, I backed him to leave PSG because it's a big boy move. I can go have my team and I can lead this team to victory. What what, what do you think is best for for Neymar? If Neymar thinks PSG is the best place for him, then that's what he's going to do. Mm. I, I think. I think the well, it doesn't. I don't think Neymar is in a position where he can't do what he thinks is best for him. He's not like a number of these other football players who are on massive wages and big contracts and at clubs that aren't being played, paid. I think if Neymar wanted to get a new manager in, he could probably get a new manager in. Um, despite what they're saying about 
PSG being reluctant to spend 10 million euros to remove Thomas Tuchel. That's what, how much of Neymar's salary? <laughs> I can imagine Neymar being like, here's a check, get rid of him and bring in someone else. Um, yeah, I think he likes PSG. I, I think I'm a bit sad that Neymar at PSG was never going to be the reality-altering transfer I wanted it to be. Uh, and uh, I think that Champions League final might have been his chance. Yeah. <laughs> I, say quick, this, can, I, say, I say this as if he hasn't already won a Champions League. So. Can you click on Adaj 3? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what's in his draft. <laughs> 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 it says your goats don't have a CEO and a, and a World Cup, bald in a semi, and in a final. <laughs> And then I would put, and then hashtag your goats are frauds or something about fraudulent. <laughs> something. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean it, 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 is, it is somewhere along the, and it's still, in, in, it's still waiting in the draft, but it's something along those lines. So I, mm. I can't unleash it yet. So. Do you know what? Okay, I paid attention to the to the Ramos debate that you had with the uh, Red and Muntaha. I saw Shout that. Out. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. So I was very aggressive, and, but you know. Okay, why do all of these arguments that you have with people? Why do they all hinge on what's great and who's best? Because those are two very different pieces. They're not the same thing. An argument can be made that Ramos is one of the great centre-backs. Ramos is not top 10 best centre-backs of all time. I agree. Those Ooh. are two different things. Carl, explain why you agree. Um, I, This is probably a hangover from reading too much Bill Simmons, but he always ranked greatness in terms of tiers so in the big book of basketball he had this like pyramid system with 72 players and then the top 10 is like tier one and then tier two you know how we talk about tier one tier two and world class and whatnot um and i think a lot of this conversation came from sergio ramos being he was voted greatest defender ever in in france football um mm. which i saw that i went no <laughs> no sergio ramos is uh, let me let me Sergio Ramos is one of the best center backs of all time. If you're having a big dinner party and all the great center backs are in there, Sergio Ramos is there and he's there about and he's probably enjoying the wine or whatever. But then when like the very best, the top ten, go off in a different corner to have, you know, brandy and cigars afterwards, Ramos pro- probably tries to get in. And one of them's like, No, sorry, mate. <laughs> like, you were you were this close, but no. What's holding him from sitting at the, the adult table rather than the kids' table? I don't think he's at the kids' table. I think I think Sergio Ramos is, you know, I think he's the 11th best. And if you ask me on top of the head, you know, name 10 defenders better than him, I probably get to seven quickly and then I get to around. And look, a lot of this is subjective. Um, like, Ram, I think Ramos is a generational centre-back. He's one of the best defenders of his generation. I think he's one of the best penalty takers I've ever seen from a defender. I think he might be one of the best penalty takers I've ever seen on a football player. Amazing at doing penankas. He might be one of the best ever to do penankas. Um, the way he hides his tell on a penalty is fantastic. He's amazing at he's amazing attacking set pieces and scoring goals, right? But this is the thing: when you ask me to describe what is Sergio Ramos good at, I will probably lead with his goal scoring prowess, mm-hmm. and then I'll probably lead with his ability on the dark arts of football. So I'd say he's great at scoring goals, and I'd say he's great at basically cheating and doing nasty stuff. If you want to talk about defending and the act of defending and repelling goals, the basic stuff that you want to coach into children, I probably wouldn't use Sergio Ramos as the blueprint because I'd say, Ugh. and again, this is a really subjective argument and quite hard because I don't watch much Real Madrid outside of Classico and Champions League games. I'd say Ramos is a really interesting player because he is, you know, there's this whole saying about how when you look at football, well, athletes, they're sort of, 30% that they do with their bodies, 30% that they do with their brains, and then 30 to 40% of just like intangibles. Um, I'd say Sergio Ramos is so good at intangibles. I'd say his intangibles are probably the best you will see in a centre-back of this generation, right? And I'd say right now, if you want centre-backs better than him, it's like a coin toss between him, Virgil van Dijk, and maybe Koulibaly, but Koulibaly seems like a nicer human being, so therefore probably is a worse defender. Um, but if you want to talk about technical ability, 
or or like and, but like he's like a great leader of men he's great at cheating he's great at scoring goals you know he's not going to miss a penalty and I think the only reason Ramos probably isn't top 10 is because on some level I don't like him <laughs> you know, but but let me ask you, you know? this then. And, actually... that, and that's like a really juvenile thing, right? Like he's probably he probably is one of the top ten, but I probably not. I'm not going to put my top ten for reasons. Wait, 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 okay, but let me ask you guys this: take away Ramos's goals, do we have a conversation as him being a top defender? If you took you, you take away his his goal scoring, oh man, this is so hope This is really hard to. I understand what you're going for here. No, but... the, the answer is the answer is no. Because... No, I, I would disagree. I disagree with the frame of the question, right? Because I, I understand what you're saying. You shouldn't rank defenders by their goal scoring. But goal scoring is so important to how Sergio Ramos is as a footballer, as like his general aura and presence, that you shouldn't take it out. And I think we are getting to a point where we need to understand that aura and presence is really important in defending, Right? Right. You saw it in Kepa. Kepa had no aura and no presence, and everyone's like, well, I'm going to shoot from wherever I want to shoot because I'm gonna, this guy's got no weight. Right. And like a large problem with Harry Maguire is even though he's an okay, he's an okay center back, he's probably a good center back. He's got no aura. Right. Everyone's like, 80 million for that guy? He's got no presence. Whereas Virgil van Dyke, that guy's got presence. And that's a really childish thing to say. But on like, in terms of strikers, we've talked about strikers that look scared. You also have defenders that look scared. And I know, I know we shouldn't rank defenders by their goal scoring, but there is something about how Ramos scores so many goals and his celebration and the way he does his penalties and that whole like blowing his knuckles thing and the way he like swags around and his terrible tattoos and big beard that if you took away the goal scoring, if you took away Ramos's goal scoring, you take away like half a yard of his pace. Okay, but you know what? What, what if we had a striker who was really good at like pressing, really good at maybe the dark arts, really good at like link play and all this kind of stuff but he just didn't score goals like scoring goals wasn't the best part of his we've game got, we've got in the comments here talking about Firmino Firmino's generational talent one of the most important players in the European of the Champions League and the Premier League winning yeah, but nobody's going to call him like yo he's top 10 and there you go and that's what you've got about Sergio Ramos Firmino and Ramos are but both I, really but good I would need like I would need a Firmino on like another level do we have one of those Kind of, no, it, it's, I, it's, it's almost like how people thought of Benzema in a sense, but I think Benzema actually scores. I feel like Ramos is kind of the same thing, just the inverse. See, there are different types of defenders, and I think when people bring up defending, I think of like the classical penalty box defender. Your John Terry's, your Baresi's, Nesta's, all those kinds of guys. Those are the defenders that I think of. Mm-hmm. We're going to put in big tackles. We're going to put in blocks. We're going to be smart in the way that they defend but also aggressive and assertive in the same sense ramos has those characteristics to where like there is a debate whether he's in the top 10 in terms of like being uh, yep. a, a good defender like like you say he's invited to christmas dinner but if the first thing i think about is goals that you score rather than the actual defensive attributes that the rest of the other goal. people had because I... john terry was a goal scorer in a sense i think he has over 50 goals yeah but if you went so... to me is john terry one of the best center backs in, in the Premier League, I'd prob- I'd put three defenders ahead of him because I don't like him, Fair and, yeah. and I, I don't I don't like him. I don't like him. He played on a team that was trying to take away titles from my team, and I thought it was slow, and it, he disappointed me for England. But also, he's undoubtedly an amazing centre back, right? He had the ability to go left and right with equal speed and take the ball on the half turn, which are things centre backs shouldn't be able to do. He was also incredibly durable. Um, and had uh, like a lead, you know, captain leader legend. He had that aura about him in a way that you rarely see. He was just, I don't like him, so I'm not, not, I'm not putting nice him on. So he's not, so he's not invited to my dinner party. Um, I, w- I want to, <laughs> I want to do, Mike, I want to do a little bit of closing comments. I'd say, in general, this is basically what I've, I've written in the piece recently on the athletic is basically one, we need to get to a point where we understand defending is more about the collective than the individual. Mm. And I think on that one, you can see how important Ramos is when he's not playing and how bad the like Varane just falls off a cliff in a similar way of Puyol made PK better for so long. I'd also say when you're talking about defending, because defending is such a weird position. So you bear in mind the object of football is to score goals and defenders stop goals. So it can be hard to quite get that. So I'd say when you're evaluating defenders, your perception of individuals matters a lot more because it's not a layman position. Um, so And in terms of perception... For some people, Ramos is going to pass that test, right? He scores loads of goals, he shouts, he screams, and he, and he does things in the big moments. He's really clutch. So he's going to be the best defender of all time. For others, he's not. 
and you can both be right. Well, did you know how people say, "Oh, Cristiano's the greatest of all time" because he has the goals, or Pele claims he's the goat because of goal? I think it's just more just kind of lazy thinking. The guy scores a bunch of goals, so therefore he must be the greatest. There was that. Uh, there was a squeezy cheese going on Twitter talking about advanced basketball analytics. The admin of the account was just basically talking about that, and and so what's the effect of? I don't really go for the goat conversation because you're basically just saying this is my favorite color. I'm not going to change your mind what your favorite color is when you tell me what your goat is. No, I mean, my thing is, one th- thing that is interesting to, to, to think of is people say, okay, could John Terry or Barese defend in this kind of era with the high line, with the speed and suspicion and, and so forth? Okay, that's a question to ask. And they say, oh, look, no, you have to give credit to Ramos in how attacking Zidane's realm of Madrid are so therefore he's having to do a lot more running and he's he's far more exposed and has far less protection than other guys did but my thing though is I remember Mourinho for Real Madrid Mourinho was made Real Madrid a pragmatic counter-attacking team Ozil number 10 Cristiano finishing San Ramos was there and I remember those games with Barcelona where Ramos would just be very rash and his defending was just very erratic you know as opposed to Lucio and Samuel were very composed, hardcore, very resolute defenders. Whereas Ramos was a lot more, he would do something wild. I'm like, bro, because there are many games where Ramos would be like, man, wait, what the heck were you doing? So in closing, it's like, as I said again, you, you, you take the goals away. We don't have a conversation about him um, as a top defender. The reason why we do is that whenever he scores goals, we're like, oh my gosh, best defender of all time. Because he scored a goal. <laughs> We're talking about defending, not goal scoring. So, yeah. All right. Um, they lost four one to Valencia, by the way, this week. Three penalties. It was bizarre, right? So every single defender gave away a penalty, apart from Varane, who scored a non goal. <laughs> right. I, uh. That's weird. That's weird. Yeah. I I didn't watch the game. I just kind of saw some of the highlights. So it it, it did look great. Um, I saw that Fatih was injured, though. Barca won Four months. five. They, they beat Betis 5-2, but Fatih, um, you said four months? Yeah. Damn. Mm. That sucks. It's, it's always what? somebody, man. It could be worse, man. It, it could be like a real serious Achilles tendon, six, seven-month injury. So... Yeah. Always look on the bright side. Glass half full than than half than half empty, man. So, so are are you who, who do you, who do you lean towards in La Liga Double H? Are you leaning like do you, do, you, do you think Atletico can get through? Do you think like Yao Felix is looking pretty pretty good? I mean, let me let me. Or let is me, it just the standard two? Um, look at that, Sociedad, Sociedad and Villarreal. I mean, great, but come on, look at that, Granada fifth. Again, five again, COVID season, man. For me, I said Barcelona would win before a ball was kicked. Right now, Ansofati's injury, Griezmann being the biggest flop of all time. Um, <laughs> Messi, I don't know where he, his head is at. Real Madrid, they cannot be trusted because, like someone said this on um, on, on on my live, said that Benzema loves resuscit- try loves trying to resuscitate the dead back to her life. This Madrid side are finished. But Zidane is squeezing every last ounce bit of juice out of the wind. He's like, Zizou, this entire team needs a renovation. <laughs> they do. So that's my thing. This might be the one season in which... See, this, I think, is Atletico's best chance of winning La Liga since 2014. Because I'm just not sold on Madrid and Barcelona this season because of Messi with Barcelona. And I think the Madrid... Team is is finished. This era is finished. So, if ever there was a time for Atletico to do something, it's now. And yeah, they, there's a got very good. There's a very good piece on the Ringer right now from Musa Gwanga, which talks about where the mystique has gone from Real Madrid and how you know for a team that's won so much, won so many Champions League, and you know it's just won a Liga again. They've not left much of an impact on European football, isn't it? Um, so yeah, I'd recommend that. Who is it by? Musa Kwonga. Oh, we do a podcast together sometimes. 
Is he Ugandan? Follow. That's, I'm going that's, to say that's yes. either a Ugandan name wrong. or a Nigerian name. <laughs> it's one of the other. Bro. It's it's the former. <clears throat> oh, okay, who knows? Might have family. <laughs> um. All right. What's left? Their classica. Last subject. Yeah. The inevitable. Yeah. I, I kind of left the. Uh, speaking of, it speaking of injuries, where speaking of injuries, where it's glass off full um joshua kimmich being injured and being out for at least the the rest of 2020 is quite sad um but that i i can't i can't get too hyped up about dortmund losing to bayern again uh, i mean yeah. i can't it hurts so much now they gave you hope though royce scored first and then yeah they do this <sighs> this is it <laughs> just three one all right Hallen, Hallen, Hallen gets his goal. All right, cool. But uh, how was that did, goal before halftime? That was that goal before halftime that I knew that. Okay, it's free. if Dortmund had gone in one nil at halftime, yeah. one zero, and aha, you got something. But that goal was like, nope. We're still your biological <laughs> fathers, you know, which we, we still own you. We still have legal custody over you. So, yep, it's Bayern's league until Dad bored with it, and they're not. Is it bored fair that these guys have Sunny? I don't, yes, I don't think fair comes into it, man. I think they're European champions. You don't need anybody. Just like give Sane to someone else. Like hey, they gave Thiago. They gave Thiago to someone else. I think that's that's what, you know. Bring in Sane, take leave out Thiago. I think that's fair. All right. Oh, okay. It's just like, how good do you need to be, really? If you're <laughs> if you're already European <laughs> champion. <laughs> You love on, saying give, how much really. <laughs> give give somebody else a chance. You know when there's just like a kid and he's just on the on the Xbox or on the PlayStation and he won't get off and it's somebody else's turn, but he just won't get off and you don't feel like yep. I don't know fighting yep. or something. It's yep. like give somebody else a chance. Like it's not yours. Like I don't know. That's 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 what German football is like, man. It's just a bully who's just on the Xbox and won't give anybody else a chance. And it's just like, come on, man. You need to get stronger to push the other kids away from the control. Like I don't know what the metaphor is, but um, all right, let's go to twitter.com and let's see if anybody Twitter. has Twitter. asked us any questions. Twitter. And if they have, we will discuss them. If they have not, then uh, we get to we get to go home. <laughs> questions questions have appeared. I am home, I think. All right. I want to make a nice cup of tea and go to bed after this. That uncle of yours asks, do you think the Premier League's decision to stick with three substitutes despite the congested season is the smaller clubs getting back at the top six for the European Super League slash project big future? Attempt? Yes. No. Yes. I don't yes, think it it's, I don't think it was minute. I don't think it was punitive punishment. I, as, as we spoke before, I think it was just smaller clubs and acting in their best interest. Right. I think in that game, in five subs where Chelsea brought on the equivalent of 200 million pounds worth of talent with extra substitutes, Crystal Palace were like, well, that's unfair. And I think a lot of clubs took that approach. I think a lot of clubs went, our squads are smaller and therefore we have less players to bring on. And I think a lot of bigger, I think the opinion there was a lot of bigger clubs could bring on bigger talent to swing tighter games and they didn't want it. Whereas what they probably should have been thinking about was... Um, we have smaller squads and we need to make sure they don't get injured because if a smaller team gets one of their bigger players injured, they're in a lot more trouble than if a bigger team does. But have hope you do think there was some retributive... 1,000%. Motives. Yeah, I mean, obviously, 100%, it is a bit to what Carl said in terms of, oh, acting in our best interest because, yeah, these guys have better squads so it can be an advantage to them, but 100%, they were like, oh... So you want to do your little small club? Ah, okay. Screw you. Screw you. Screw <laughs> you. Heck no. no. We have this party and we're going to prove that screw you for even trying to try and mess this whole thing up. Nah, nah. Stick I don't, with the I don't, I, I haven't... I'm spending more time in it and more time talking to people involved in it. Um, I don't think clubs are interested in revenge and I think they're far more interested in Money. self-preservation and self-interest. Yes. Carl, don't don't trust what they tell you. 
Don't judge a book on its cover. <laughs> Don't believe that, it. That is, that, is, that is very, very true. And I, I'm not going to say anymore. Um, so that was from Kojo. So thanks, thanks for the question. Um, last one from Jax365. What? All the teams in Europe teams, bar Chelsea, Liverpool, and Leicester, will play 13 games. Those three will play 12 games. That's after the international break until the first week of 2021. Yep. Are we going to have a mental slash physical problem with players in the Premier League? Also in that, if United or City win the League Cup game in December, they will play 11 straight midweek games late yep. November to mid-February. So I guess we kind of touched this already, mm-hmm. but if we you can think, answer his yeah, question. Manchester United have to play 10 games in the next four weeks of the international break. Damn! Shit! That is, that is in part one reason why I have moved from Southampton to Manchester United to help uh, yes. the team covering Manchester United. But that is 10 games in the next four weeks. Someone's Even the get... media companies need more substitutions. Someone's Think about that. Right? Yeah, it, this is it. If I need subs just to cover these games. Do you have to travel or is it like you don't have to go anywhere? At this current COVID point in time, now. it works on the passes. So um, Everton gave an additional pass to the Manchester United correspondent. So he traveled to Goodison Park to cover that game. Whereas when it was Newcastle, um, Newcastle did not make an extra pass available. So I watched that game by a pay-per-view, which it looks like will no longer be in place after the international break. So um, well done to all of the fans that protested that one well. And uh, congratulations for your efforts, especially with the, I'm not going to give money to pay-per-view, but I will donate to a food bank. I think Mm -hmm. that was a really good form of protest. The idea, make it clear that not only were you not going to pay money for those games, but you you could pay that money, but instead you're choosing to give that money to a noble cause. Really put the pressure on on decision makers in regards to pay-per-view in a way that they eventually had to fold. Also, congratulations. 1495 for Burnley against West Brom. By the way, because I'm trying to finish this for like 120. Big up Marcus Rashford. Yep, I was about to say that as well. Yeah, um, I, I saw that the, he got the government like what? Yep. He got 400 million using, pounds. Do you from, trust them? Do you trust them? He doesn't either, which I think is really, really good. And I think he's really vocal on that. I think if you watch the video interview afterwards, Marcus Rashford said he started this campaign asking for three things. The government said no to all three things. And now they've done a U turn on two of them and they're willing to talk about a third i think if you consider the fact that marcus Rashford is 20 he just he just turned 23 he went from beating everton on the saturday to having a phone call with the prime minister of the united kingdom at a time where the prime minister of the united kingdom should probably try to call whoever the president is um the fact that <laughs> boris Johnson, the fact that boris johnson's going huh what marcus Rashford, and he's picking up the phone and Marcus Rashford's like, yeah, anyway, so I just beat Everton. What are you going to do? I mean, he's not going to do that because he's a really nice boy. Dr. Marcus Rashford, MB, M- MB should be applauded. I'm going to plug his two charities. I'm going to plug his charities on this podcast as well. So he's currently doing all of his work via Fair Share. Um, so if you go on his Twitter page, it's his um, website in the bio. So that's Fair, F-A-R-E, uh, Share, S-H-A-R-E, dot, code UK, or dot com. Uh, and if you go to Donate, they organize some of the biggest food banks in the United Kingdom, so I'd heartily advise if you are still boycotting pay-per-view or whatnot, throw £15 there. After you got his hat-trick against RB Leipzig, I gave them 15 quid because he made me happy, so therefore you pay it forward. Uh, I'd also recommend if you're based in the United Kingdom to donate to the Trussell Trust. Trussell Trust, that's T before Russell, and then Trust. Um, they're one of the largest groups of food banks in the United Kingdom as well, uh, and I just have it set up where I give them £20 a month, uh, and that helps feed a lot of people. Cool. So, yeah, thank you, Marcus Rashford. And I'm going to send you boys a text message soon because I've got some interesting news for you in a bit. Carl, uh, what do you have coming out this week? Tell the people. Nothing. It's my week off. Hey, I told you. You don't, have, you. You, you, you don't have Righty's house? Oh, I do have Righty's house. Yes, I do. I've got Righty's house this week. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tell, tell the people. Ian writes, writes, writes. Um, yeah, yeah, I haven't announced on this podcast yet. I, uh, I'm i doing a podcast with Ian Wright on The Ringer. It's called yeah, Wrighty's House. Right, right. Yeah, it happens right, right. 
it's a new weekly podcast from Ian Wright. It's going to run up until early 2021. And it'll is be it on a the Spotify Ringer. exclusive? It is a Spotify exclusive, as are mm. all Ringer podcasts, in my understanding. Um, so it's Spotify exclusive. Ian Wright is the host. He Carl invites you like to... <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry I haven't been on the talking tactics as much as I used to be because I'm doing things like working for the athletic and he's got podcasts with Ian Wright guys I've got podcasts mm, with Ian Wright um, so you gotta take a week. back seat bro he, uh, not, not, not even a back seat this guy threw us in the trunk bro <laughs> or what's it called the bonnet <laughs> the bonnet's the trunk the trunk's the back um, so yeah episode 3 will come out on Wednesday and I will I will be on that one. So it'll be it'll be me, Ryan, and Ryan Hun as the guests. Last week it was Musa Akwanga, who is also in Wright's house, and Jeanette Kowachi, uh, British Olympian. So you can look forward to that. And also on the Athletic, just keep subscribing to the Athletic. It really means a lot. Um, while I've been joking about the fact that I need squad rotation, I am like proper burnout and really tired. So uh, all nice comments. And uh, any positive vibes you can send to me right now would be much appreciated. That's that's part of the reason why I bought an iPad. I think so. I'm gonna like do more like magazine reading. So I think I'm I'm, I'm gonna pick up a subscription, bro. Mm. Thanks, bro. Yeah. All right. Have hope. What's coming out this week, man? I'm sure you got a lot of stuff due to the to, due to the lockdown. You don't have anything else to do but live streams. So well, what's happening? No, no. Basically, just you know, keep in tune. I am I'm currently working on a. Um... On a Mario Gotza vid, you know about um, figuring wasted out what... talent or unfortunate. No, 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 no. Wasted talent is is Balotelli. Is what happened, you know, to Mario Gotza. What happened to could have been one of Germany's first true superstar players because Germany have never really had a superstar player, and I believed he could be who could have been Germany's first true superstar player. So this has been Talking Tactics. Thank you guys for sitting with us. Um, it's always appreciated. People listening, whether on YouTube or whichever podcast app you've got. So shout out to you guys. Shout out to the comments. Um, yeah. We're at Talking Tactics on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of that. Make sure you look it up. Um, if you're on Spotify, remember to give us a follow. If you're on Apple Podcasts, subscribe. It's free. Leave us a five-star review, and we will read it on the show. It has to be five stars, though, once again. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you want to help the podcast out monetarily, I need one of you. Well, just one person. Just one person this week. Become a patron. Check us out. Help us out. Talking Texas podcast. Sometimes funny. Sometimes serious. Always football. Indeed. We'll see you guys next week. Peace, peace, peace. Peace, peace. Later, human eyes. Sports Social Podcast Network.